a focused summary of chapters 4 through 8 of Bugjargal. In chapter 4, Doverny's story begins, and if he expects us to be disappointed not to find anything very wonderful in it, then it is he whose expectations will be disappointed. Doverny tells of how he came to live on the San Domingo plantation of an uncle whose daughter he was to marry. There, his uncle ruled over 800 Negro slaves with harsh severity and despotic power, while the children looked on, powerless to prevent his cruelties. His uncle's favorite slave was a half-caste Spanish dwarf named Habibra, whom he dressed as a jester so that he might feel more like a feudal lord. This dwarf was short and fat, yet long-legged and agile, with hair of red curly wool on an enormous head stuck between his shoulders. Might remind you of another Hugo character. Doverny's uncle loved him for his hideousness and his gaiety, and Habibra served his master with the docility of a dog. Doverny was contemptuous of Habibra's crawling servility, which was made still worse by the fact that he never used his influence to improve the lot of his fellow sufferers. And yet, the other slaves looked upon Habibra with respect, and when he walked past their huts, would murmur with awe, he is an obi. These were all matters that, at the time, Doverny gave little thought, because he had given himself up entirely to his love for his betrothed, Marie. Few men, he says, have ever been more madly in love under more magical circumstances. He enjoyed wealth, privilege, and perfect happiness in the midst of a delicious climate, in a country where nature is lovely and summer eternal. In those days, he enjoyed a blind faith in his happy fate. The captain then pauses in his story, stifled with sadness, and says that he can now say no one passed his later years with more misery and affliction. He continues his tale with the approach of his 20th birthday and of his marriage to Marie in August 1791. Doverny found himself so absorbed with his own happiness that he paid little notice to the political debates that agitated the colony. If he held any opinions on the matter, they were those that aligned with his uncle's. Only once did he mix himself in the questions of the day. At a ball where young colonists were speaking out against a decree that gave free men of color the same political privileges as whites, he confronted a wealthy planter, rumored to be of mixed blood, and exclaimed loudly that he would not like what he was about to hear. Doverny confesses that he was wrong to provoke the man, and that he had been driven not by racial prejudice, but by jealousy, because the man had paid attentions to Marie. Otherwise, he had been a perfect stranger to the political ferment that threatened to erupt into a frightful storm. He thought only of the day when he would possess Marie. But that August, a slight shade was cast over the sunshine of his happiness. On his uncle's estate was a little pavilion where Marie would go every day to cool herself in the breezes from the sea, and where, each morning, Doverny would adorn her retreat with gathered flowers. One day, Marie arrived to find the flowers thrown to the ground and trampled, and a little bunch of wild marigolds on her seat in their place. Then she heard the sound of a guitar, and a voice singing a song in Spanish that repeated her name. 
When Dauverny heard what had happened, he was filled with rage and suspected the mixed-race man he had tangled with. But he vowed to do nothing rash and promised Marie protection. That night, he hid himself near her chamber, armed with a dagger. In the middle of the night, he heard a melancholy song coming from under Marie's window. He rushed toward the sound, when suddenly someone threw him on his back, wrenched away his dagger, and held it, pointing at his head. As he struggled in vain against this formidable antagonist, Marie appeared at her window, saw this scene, and screamed. Dauverny's opponent held still in apparent indecision, then dropped the dagger and cried out, No, she would weep too much, and disappeared in the canes. Dauverny found himself possessed by conflicting emotions, rage against this unknown rival, shame at being indebted to him for his life, and respect for the nobility of the man's impulse to spare him. He longed to know who this mysterious man was. He was too strong to have been the mulatto planter, and too noble, he thought, to be a slave. He decided to wait and watch. When Marie's father learned of the mysterious occurrence, he ordered the nurse never to leave her alone and authorized Dauverny to accompany her whenever she left the house. Like Dauverny, his pride would not permit him to believe the unknown lover could be a slave, so he ordered a stricter guarding of the plantation boundaries. Meanwhile, Dauverny repaired the destruction at Marie's retreat, and when the time came, escorted her there with a loaded rifle. Finding it in the same disorder as the day before, Marie was reassured, thinking no one had come, while Dauverny was speechless with rage at seeing his work again ruined. Not wanting to alarm her, he did not tell Marie that the man had returned, and they took their seats. Not a moment later, the same melody played beneath her window could be heard over the rippling of the stream. It was a plaintive Spanish romance about his unrequited love for the enchanting Maria, about how he, a king, would surrender his freedom for her love, and about how the two of them together, he black and she white, would be like the unity of day and night, bringing forth the sunset, more beautiful than either. These words, king, black, slave, drove Dauverny mad with rage, and he rushed from the summer house with his rifle to pursue his rival in the thicket. But the man had again escaped like some supernatural being. Then he encountered Habibra, who, after coyly evading his questions, confessed that he knew the identity of the man who sang. He delayed the revelation with a laughing account of how the lyrics of the song suggested that he, as a half-breed, was more beautiful than Dauverny. Just as Dauverny raised his hand to chastise the dwarf's insolence, he heard a shriek from the direction of the pavilion. He darted to the scene, and arriving, came upon a terrible spectacle. An enormous alligator threatened a young negro of colossal height, who held Maria with one arm and plunged an iron hoe between the monster's teeth with the other. Seeing Dauverny, Marie extricated herself and flew to him, declaring herself saved. At that, the Negro turned, crossed his arms, cast a look of sorrow upon her, and stood oblivious to the advancing alligator. 
In an impulse to protect the courageous man, Dauverny quickly discharged his gun into the creature's yawning mouth. The Negro, saved from death, fixed his eyes on the ground, then raised them slowly, looked at Marie, and said, with deep despair, "'Why did you kill him?' Then he disappeared in the thicket.' 